Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church. City Church is a community of worshippers on mission. We exist to catalyze a gospel-centered movement that renews Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally. You can find out more about us at www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos. Good morning, church. Our Bible reading is from 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 to 11. When I'm done reading, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord. Please, let's respond by saying thanks be to God. Now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you. For you, very know, sorry, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying, peace and safety... Destruction will come on them suddenly, as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at the night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate, and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died so that He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Delmo. Thank you, Delmo. And um, good morning, everyone. Yes, nice to see us all here. Um, um, If you are here for the first time, my name is Femi. I'm so happy that you will and somebody is laughing. Why are you laughing? <laughs> Lucozid. You want to know the story about Lucozid? You sure? I know you want to know, so I'll tell you. But first of all, if it's your first time here, we're happy that you're here. My wife told me that one day, I'm not going to tell you what happened. You know, I, I didn't eat in the morning, and so she just said, I need Lucozid. And so she got me Lucozid boost. And then when she finished, said, man, that sermon was really good. Next week, I'm going to get Lucozid again. <laughs> so ever since, is the Holy Spirit and some boost here. Yeah. <laughs> All right, but um, I, I, before we go uh, on, I do also want to apologize. Um, we are aware that things are getting a little bit um, uh, inconvenient sometimes with the space and all of those things. So I do want to apologize for that. We are aware of it. And very soon we are going to be opening up this space. So we'll have a little bit more, more room. Now, the reason why we've not done it is it requires some logistics as usual. And so we are working on those things. So please bear with us. And I'm speaking also, really, if you're here for the first time, we're really sorry that has happened. Okay. Now, um, to the sermon. Thank you, Domo, for the reading. I know that, um, I don't know how many of you have been looking forward to, to this particular sermon because of the title. Um, but yes, I, I have been. I, I have a huge announcement today. I'm going to let you guys know exactly. You know the title of the sermon, by the way? You know the title of some. When is Jesus coming back? When is Jesus coming back? So, uh, this will be some of you's last time being in this church. <laughs> but it was nice knowing you. Now, but, but before I get into that, really, I, I do want to say this about, um, you know, parenting is something that my wife and I have been growing, growing in. It's, 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 it's a skill. You have to learn to grow in parenting. You can't just be a good parent from the beginning. And so there are certain things that we have been learning and growing our knowledge of, especially when you have two growing, curious kids. One thing, one lesson we have totally learned now, now we have passed the test on that. We have scored, passed the test, we are not even doing that class again. Is this about children, especially when you have growing, curious kids. Never promise them anything before the time. Don't, don't give them a promise when you are not going to give them the promise now. You know why? Because they will bog you into submission, 
to, with one particular question, is one word, is this, when? When? I remember when we were traveling one time, we were on the plane, and you imagine you are going, it's about a 12-hour journey, and in, after hour two, daddy, when are we getting there? Ah, it's hour two. Are we there yet? Are we there? We're always asking when, when, when. You know, especially, God help you if it's a few weeks from now. You just went with your uncontrolled mouth. And I say, hey, you don't know what that is going to get for you very soon. Eh? <laughs> How do we define very soon? When is it? That's why my wife uh, met a friend. She had a friend recently, and the friend gave her one uh, advice. In fact, she said, when they and the children are traveling abroad, the children find out on the way to the airport. They just like, we're entering the car. What's, what, what's with all these bags and all that? Oh, by the way, we are traveling abroad. Turn to your neighbor and say knowledge. Yes. You understand? Uh, we, we spit it out. We don't do, I don't do small things here in City Church. We give you things. And in very much the same way, we as Christians been behaving this way. Because Jesus gave the best promise ever. He told his disciples in Acts chapter 1, like after he had risen from the dead and everything, Acts chapter 1, 3, 4, 5, he told his disciples, guess what? I am going to fully set up my kingdom on this earth. I'm going to fully set up my kingdom. You know what the disciples asked after in Acts 1 verse 7? When? Are you at this, Acts 1 verse 6, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? They were asking where? Here's the thing. It didn't happen in their time. But it hasn't stopped us Christians from trying to figure out exactly when is it. You know, in, uh, there was a preacher. His name was William Miller. William Miller, an American preacher. And in 1831, William Miller um, figured out when Jesus was coming back. He, already, he knew that it was going to be sometime between 1843 and 1844. Now, last time I checked, 1843, and we are still asking the question, when is Jesus coming back? You know, he adjusted the dates a few times, but it didn't work out. Jesus didn't come back. Now, there were, it was a massive thing in the U.S. It led to what they called the Great Disappointment. And some people stopped being Christian. Some people stopped going to church. Some other people reinterpreted it and said, well, it was a spiritual thing. And that led to a number of groups. When you think about the groups we call Adventists, the most popular called the Seventh-day Adventists, there are people that came from that Millerite uh, camp. But you know that was a long time ago. But if you were here last week, I told you that the 70s and the 80s, there was a lot of end-time prophecies and all of those things. And people believed Jesus was coming back. And there was a guy called Edgar Wisnant. He wasn't a pastor, a preacher. He was a former NASA engineer, but he was a Christian. And he had studied the Bible, and he had looked through all the different things, and he knew exactly when, for him, the rapture was going to take place. In his understanding of the rapture, you know what we said about that last week, and how that can be misguided. But for him, the rapture was going to take place. He knew exactly when. He was so sure, the guy said, except the Bible is in error, I cannot be wrong. In fact, he wrote a book about it. It was called 88 Reasons Why the Rapture is in 1988. Some of you know, some of you know that, that, right? I remember that book. No, I, what I mean, they told me about the book. I didn't. God, now wow. But you know, 1988 is too far for some of us. The most contemporary example, the most popular example, was by a guy called Harold Camping. Harold Camping. He was the leader of something called Family Radio, had so many stations all across America. He was very influential. And Harold Camping said, <laughs> Miller was wrong. Edgar Weisner was wrong. But me, I am right. He knew when the judgment day was going to happen. In fact, there were billboards all around America. He sponsored billboards. The judgment day was going to happen on May 21st, of, uh, 2011. That was one of the billboards. Now, May 21st, 2011 came. But the judgment day didn't happen. 
But don't worry. He hadn't given up. He, there was some miscalculation. And so he adjusted it. And the judgment day was now going to be October 21st, 2011. Oh, sorry, did I mention that he had also predicted in September 7, 1994? You know, and they say third, uh, three, uh, third time is a charm. Uh, uh, this third time was not a charm. Miller was wrong. Wisenant was wrong. Campin was wrong. But Femi Oshunei would not be wrong. <laughs> but first of all, I do want to uh, why is it, what is the motivation behind a lot of this date setting? Let me tell you, I think it is the effect of wanting the when having been told a great promise. And I think this has an effect in two sets of people. The first set of people, I would say, were the people that followed Miller, that followed Weisner, that followed Camping, and they themselves. What is the reason? It's very simple. Middle class comfort. Because comfort eventually leads to boredom. And boredom eventually leads to imaginative speculation. A lie initial shit is what we call it. You can just speculate about, I think it's going to be this. If you put this verse together, maybe, maybe. But that wasn't the case with the Thessalonians. There is another reason why some people say when. You see, 1 Thessalonians 3, verses 2 to 3, we are told that the Thessalonians were going through much trials and tribulation. Paul himself had experienced it in that place. And when they were going through the intense suffering, at some point they started to ask, how long, O Lord, when will you come back? Because they knew that if Jesus came back, it will, it will spell the end of all their suffering. And can I tell you, there are people that have been crying in this nation. People that have been crying because of the persecution that they have received for their Christian faith. They've been going on and on and on and they're asking, how long will our churches be burned? How long will our children be sacrificed? How long, oh Lord, before you come? And so they say, when? Maybe you're coming here today and maybe your case is not that you are being persecuted or those who are watching. Your case can just be that I have been going through intense suffering in my life, physical illness, stuff has not been happening for me in my marriage, I don't have children, this is not the life I would like to live, but I'm just going on because the Bible says that we will also have the fellowship of the sufferings of Christ, but this life is too difficult for me. When will you return, Jesus? So they're asking, when are the dates and the time? But there's one more group of people here. Life isn't too bad for you. Yeah, you go through your ups and downs. But life, you know, generally is okay in this world. And you have aspirations and you have hopes in this world. And at some point, you start to say, you know what? Jesus, can you delay your coming? This world isn't too bad. Uh, or at least don't come until you know that pipeline contract. <laughs> don't come and spoil it for me. And so complacency sets in. You say peace and safety. Well, I want to inspire you to say, you too should be asking, when are you coming, Lord Jesus? And so as we will look into this sermon, I want us to have an anticipation for when the Lord Jesus is going to come. We need to be asking that question more than at any time in our lives. And so bear with me, today is not going to be your typical sermon. We're actually going to do a little bit of theology. Are we ready for that? We can open our minds for that, right? We'll dig in a little bit deeper. But I do want us to pray, and I want you to pray for yourselves. Using this scripture in Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 2. It says this, Let my teaching fall like rain, and my words descend like dew, like showers on new grass, like abundant rain on tender plants. As I speak, ask the Lord that you will be like a tender plant, that your heart will be like new grass, that the teaching will fall upon you like rain, that the world will descend upon you like dew. Ask the Lord that your mind may be open. For those who need encouragement, ask the Lord that you will be encouraged. For those who need to be jolted out of their complacency, ask the Lord that you will be prepared in the name of Jesus. Lord God, as we delve into your word today, we ask for encouragement for every suffering soul here. 
We ask for enlightenment for every confused mind. And we ask for preparedness for every complacent heart as we collectively anticipate the return of our Lord Jesus, to which we all say, Amen. Amen. All right, so we are going to look at it under these three headings, the day of his coming, the plan for his coming, and the people of his coming. The day of his coming, the plan for his coming, and the people of his coming. So, let's ask that question. When is Jesus coming back? Well, the answer to when Jesus is coming back is this. He's coming back on the day of the Lord. It's in verse 2. Jesus has a day when he's coming back, and it's called the day of the Lord. Now, what is the day of the Lord, before we get into when it's going to happen? What is the day of the Lord? Well, the day of the Lord didn't just occur here. In, it's not just a, a, a phenomenon in, in 1 Thessalonians. Neither is it a phenomenon in the New Testament. In fact, it starts from the Old Testament. The day of the Lord, as you can see, for instance, in Isaiah chapter 13, 6, 9, Amos 5, 18, 20. The day of the Lord comes with two senses. So the first sense is what... Prophet Amos and Prophet Isaiah tell us that the day of the Lord was a time when Yahweh, Israel's God, was going to visit the earth and punish people for their sins. In fact, he says that it was a day of destruction from the Almighty, a cruel day, a day of, um, a, a, a day of darkness, not light, a day of wrath, a day of fierce anger. In fact, Prophet Amos asked, why would you long for the day of the Lord? Well, you should long for the day of the Lord because if you listen to Prophet Joel, Joel in Joel 2, 31 to 32, or Joel 3, 18, he says that actually that day of the Lord, though it's a day of destruction, but also it is a day when those who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. He said it is a day when the mountains will drip new wine and the hills will flow with milk. So it's a day when the Lord was going to, Yahweh was going to come to the earth to punish people for their sins, but also to bring salvation for his people. That is what we saw in the Old Testament. But when you get to the New Testament, remember, as Christians, we believe that Yahweh, the one God of the Israelites, the true God, is one God, but is three persons. And all of the three persons are truly God. Now, when the second person of Yahweh became a human being and came into this world, he came into this world, his name was Jesus, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. So when you get to the New Testament, right, if God or Yahweh is Jesus and the day of the Lord is about the coming of the Lord, well, the day of the Lord now takes a different flavor. In certain places, it is now called the day is exclusively tied to Jesus Christ. So, for instance, in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 8, it, calls, it says, He will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of what? Our Lord Jesus Christ. Or Philippians 1 6 that we all know, uh, a lot of us know that, uh, yeah, we have to be very careful. We say we all know. <laughs> have you told about that? All right. But it says that being confident of this, he who began the good work in you will be faithful to, to bring it to completion when? On the day of Christ Jesus. Now, does it lose the flavor of what we found in the Old Testament? No, it's the same. Right? Because in 2 Peter 3, verse 7, also in New Testament, it tells you that that day is a day of judgment and it will bring about the destruction of the ungodly, that day of Jesus Christ or the day of the Lord. But at the same time, in Ephesians 4, verse 30, it says, Don't grieve the Holy Spirit for whom you have been sealed, what? Till the day of redemption. It is both a day of judgment and a day of redemption when the Lord Jesus Christ comes back. Are we still clear? So when is Jesus coming back? He's coming back on the day of the Lord, the day of Jesus Christ. So now, question, uh, I mean, when is the day of the Lord? It is asked in verse 1. That's what they asked him. He said, now concerning dates and times. When is the day of the Lord? He then answers it in verse 2. Look at it. For you know very well, the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. There is your answer. You see, because whilst all of you are focused on timing, Paul was focused on describing. You know why? Because it is the day of the Lord, not the date of the Lord. 
And when Paul was saying this, he said, you know very well. He wasn't saying, he said, I have taught you. You know very well. And he's saying that based on teaching them what Jesus taught his own disciples. Remember in that Acts chapter 1, verse 7, they added verse 6. They said, when will you restore the kingdom back to Israel? Then Jesus answered in verse 7. He said, it is not for you to know the times or the what? Dates that the Father has set in his own authority. The confirm is looking at me and saying, play me while you. That's what he's doing. He says, not for you to know the times or the dates that the Father has set in his own authority. He told them this after he had risen from the dead, but this was a teaching he had given them even before he was crucified. You see, at one point, Jesus was in Jerusalem, and the temple was the most important thing for the Jews, right? This is where God met with them. And Jesus said, you see, this temple is going to be destroyed. Ah! The, the disciples were like, if the temple is going to be destroyed, that can only signal the end of the world. So they asked him a threefold question, which they thought will, the answer would be the same to all of them. He says, when that, when, in Matthew 24, verse 3, when shall these things be? When is the destruction of the temple? And then when shall, uh, what is going to be the sign of your coming? Because we know it is the end, at the end, you are going to come. And they now said, and of the end of the age. And Jesus gave them an answer that he kept on repeating over and over again. In verse 36, look at what he says. But about that day or hour, no one knows. Everybody say that together. No one knows. Not even the angels, not even in the heaven, not the son, but only the father. In case you are deaf, he repeats it in verse 42. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. Let's try. Third time is a chance. Alright? So you must also, verse 44, be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him to. You cannot know. And this is why every date setter will always miss it. It doesn't matter how fancy you can be and creative with the text. Because I know somebody that was. And I followed the person. See, around 2004, 2005, I was very much into these things, right? These things, very much into it, calculating, reading books about that. And so this guy was following. And the man said this, very profound. He said, Jesus said, you cannot know the day nor the hour. We can't contradict what Jesus said. You can't know the day nor the hour. He said, but Jesus did not say you cannot know the month nor the year. Turn to your neighbor and say, deep. Deep. And my 20-something year old son was like, oh, wow. Uh, this thing, shop, give me more. And so he has his own complex thing, put this stuff together, the feast of the Lord, blah, blah, calculated the date. He did not say Jesus per se was coming. He did not say judgment day. But if you read some of this eschatological things, there's meant to be one kind of great war. So he said, that there is going to be a great atomic war in March, April, March, April 2008. Ah, great atomic war. Ah, you know, that, that's not good. <laughs> so March, April was coming. As March, April was coming, and I said, ah, and April came. It didn't work out. And I said, ah, no, he missed the calculation. It was the fourth month. But you know, God does not speak Latin. You see, because Latin calendar, January is all cut. He said, God speaks Hebrew. So it was going to happen in September 2008. <laughs> it hasn't happened. <laughs> but let me tell you why this thing is very serious. It wasn't in Nigeria, and he visited in Nigeria. And all of these things I'm saying, this is very fine. My, my parents are there, so they know everything. <laughs> I was a chauffeur for a conference. I was a chauffeur. For, he came around Nigeria. I was a chauffeur for his conference. I, and this was in 2006. And at that point, I was getting ready to go for my master's. I was trying to go for my master's in 2000. In 2000 I was compared 2006. At that time, I was in the UK. I went to go to Sweden. So I asked him at some point, I said, ah, sir, this uh, master's, I'm thinking of September 2006. <laughs> In Sweden, it is two years for a master's. 
So I'm just wondering, you know, September 2006 plus two years, September 2008, is Sweden the best place to be <laughs> when this katakata will bust? And so I was asking, I said, should I go for these masters? I asked him, I said, should I go for my masters? You know what he told me? He said, if you know that this thing is going to happen in September 2008, and you say you want to go for your masters, then it shows that you really don't believe. He said, there, are some other, there were some other followers of his that believed. He said, in Portacot, shout out to our Portacot crew. He said, they have bought a land. They are going to build a farm that I should go over there and go and start. <laughs> we, we, none of you will be here now. We will have been gathering on a farm in Portacot. <laughs> now listen to me. He died in 2009. If I made that decision, what do you think would be made of my life? He has gone to be with the Lord because I have no doubt that man was a Christian. He was just in error. He has gone to be with the Lord. I would have been suffering now because I followed somebody who, de who decided not to heed what the commandment and the instruction of Jesus Christ. No man knows the day nor the hour. I was lucky or I was blessed. If you ask many people that grew up in the 70s and the 80s, they will tell you about many of their friends who are on campuses. They dropped out of school because they thought that Jesus was going to show up in one particular place or the other. Let me tell you something. If you know any date setter, love them, don't hate them. Pray for them. But when you see them in that place, go the other way. Because hmm. we must not disobey what Jesus said. But somebody will say, eh, Pastor Femi, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. This is in fact why I'm not even a Christian because I think the Bible has errors. This Paul you're talking about, this Paul felt that it was going to happen in his time. Have you not read Romans 13, verse 11 to 12? He said, understand, do this understanding present time. That the hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is already over. The day is almost here. So, Pastor, Paul thought it was going to be in his time. Was he not wrong? Did he not believe that? The answer is yes and no. Yes and no. How? Let me explain with um, something that we'll be familiar with here. With our order of service, as you notice when you come in here, we have an order of service, right? It's a bit structured, liturgical, and all of that. The sermon is the ninth element in our liturgy. It's the ninth element. Giving response is the tenth element. Now imagine you are coming into church, and as virtually all of us here, like, our giving response is our favorite time of the sermon, of the, of the, of the service. Amen. All right, so imagine you came in and the sermon just started. Or you came in and you saw that we had started the sermon. What you would say is the giving response is close by, isn't it? Why? Because it is the next element in the, in the, in the order of service, right? So you would say it is close by. But you don't know exactly when it's going to happen. Take this year, for instance. Some people have preached 35 minutes. Some people have preached 75 minutes. <laughs> Do you understand? The Emmanuel is just so, is so indisciplined. <laughs> 75 minutes, him and Dami are trying to whatever. Thank God for people like me that preach very, very, uh, you know, short sermons. <laughs> My God. Touch your neighbor and say you're laughing at yourself. <laughs> no, it's not me. It's not me. It's not me you're laughing at. So the time is unpredictable. You don't know when exactly... So, on the one hand, it is close by because it is the next element or event in the order of service. But on the other hand, when is it actually going to happen? When is the giving response going to happen? You don't know because it is set in the authority of the preacher. Are you following me? And then there's one more thing. The third thing is this. One thing we know, even when you don't know when it's going to happen, 25 minutes into the sermon, is closer to the end than 10 minutes into the sermon. Are you following me? In the same way, in the event of God's salvation plan, Paul, at the time when Paul was, and the time that we all are in, the next event that is going to happen is the coming of the Lord. It is close by. 
But also, we don't know how long this penultimate element or event is. What is this penultimate element or event? The last days. We are in the last days. And the last days is not when somebody said, because you know there are gay people in America, and because you know they are transgender, whatever, we are now in the last days. It's not because of that. It is the last days because when the Holy Spirit came down 2,000 years ago, it was the last days. So we don't know how long the last days are. We don't know. But here's what we know. 2,000 years into the last days is nearer to the, final, to the final day of the Lord than 100 years into it. Are you following me? In other words, we are closer to it than Paul was. But we and Paul were in the penultimate event before that. What I'm trying to tell you is this. I don't know when it's going to happen, but it can happen today. And I don't know when it can happen. It can be 50 years from now. The point is this. We cannot be complacent. That's what Paul was telling his people. Now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. If Paul could say that 2,000 years ago, my friends, it is close. Amen. Amen. So let's be careful with the complacency that comes when we say peace and safety. That takes me to my second point because I dropped a few things there. I don't want to rush over. Because we said there was a plan. God's salvation plan. So and that's what we want to talk about. Second point, the plan for his coming. What is this plan like? Now, it depends on what you believe. Now, if, like last week, you do believe, um, um, even though that's not what we taught, and we said this is not what's happening, but there are some people, good Christians, that believe that there's going to be a rapture where Jesus is going to come and take people into heaven. Well, it fits into a larger plan. And I want to show you those plans, right? Uh, two, uh, two alternative plans. One, well, all of them have in common something that we all should agree on if we are Christians. What is it? One, Jesus came, right? Jesus came in, in his incarnation. Then after that, Jesus ascended. Do we agree? And after Jesus ascended, the Holy Spirit came down. Are we agreed? Can we see the day of Pentecost? Okay. So now when the Holy Spirit came back down in Acts chapter 2, right? It says that was the beginning of the last days. In the last days, right, I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. So it's the last days started. But those, that last days is also called the church age. Because when the Holy Spirit came, the church was born. So we're in the church age, Right? Still follow it. Now, this is where, if you believe in the rapture, what happens next? We said that some people say Jesus Christ will come. And when Jesus Christ comes, people who are dead will resurrect. People who are not dead, when he comes, they will be changed. Now, it says this, that when they change, they will follow Jesus to heaven. They will come back. They will come back, right? But how the time between when they will come back and when they went is seven years. And in that seven years, some have called it the seven years tribulation. All right? There will be katakata on the earth. But don't worry, you will have gone. Are you sure you will have gone? That's why I say, on the last day, only believers will be raptured. Remain rapturable. Because, as I saw one of those movies that we were watching, the pastor was saying, it can come at any point. We can be raptured at any point. Boom! Some people just left. The pastor was still there. <laughs> like, ah, pastor, you. Ah. It will happen. If anybody is flying, I will hold you. We are going together. <laughs> so there's tribulation on the earth. There's, there's tribulation on the earth. So Jesus comes back with the believers after the seven years. Then he sets up his millennial reign, 1,000 years. He rules for 1,000 years, the, millenn the millennium. He rules for 1,000 years. And after that 1,000 years, he will have a final war of Armageddon and all of that. And then there will now be the judgment, not of believers. Believers will have been judged before, so that's why they were changed. There will now be the judgment of unbelievers. They will go into hell and then we'll have the eternal state. This is the simplified version of it. Now, there are some people that say, a uh, small alternative view here, so they say it's not seven years. In fact, it will be immediate, right? That it's not seven years, it will be immediately. The tribulation is not like, you know, tribulation, okay, it will be an immediate, they will come, meet Jesus in the air, then he will return. But then they have the 1,000 years, okay? So, that is the simplified version of that one. Let me give you an alternative chart. All right? So, we have the first three things again. Um, can we go to the next one? 
So we have the same one. We have Jesus, incarnation, Jesus, ascension, Holy Spirit, come down. All right? Then we have the church age. Then after the church age, here's something fantastic that happened. Jesus will come, and when Jesus comes, there will be the judgment. And when there's judgment of believers and unbelievers, one will go to hell, the other will be heaven and new earth. Shikena. Don't your neighbor say simple. Can I ask you a question? Show the next one again. This one and... and so where, where's the millennium and tribulation? Oh, that's in the church age. The millennium and the tribulation basically is in the church age. And so you say, uh, go back to, to... What about the one after? This one and then the next one again. And this one. Which one do you like? Who, uh, who likes this one? Hands up if you like this one. No, no raise your hand up well now. Okay, hands up if you like the other one. If you like the other one, most people don't, nobody likes the other one. I don't like the other one too. And let me tell you, the Bible doesn't like it. You see, sometimes the problem, our problems are not as complex as we say it is. It's very simple. It's very simple. They are not agreeing to your uh, proposing because your mouth is smelling. Just bite toothpaste. It's not a spiritual problem. It's nobody is doing. Do you understand? It's not, just give the guy toothpaste. Say, guy, just take. Some other guy just give them effort. They'll say, no, my father, this is what happened. No, it is not, my friend. Just have some game. And she will follow you. Amen. I, that, that's a word for somebody here you can receive if you don't. Sometimes our problems are simpler than we think. Now, let me tell you why. I want to give you four reasons why. God, I believe, I firmly believe that this is actually what is the Bible teaches. Four reasons, very quickly, and I'll show you some scriptures. First one is this. There is one second coming. There's just one second coming, and it is for saints and for sinners. The problem with the other one, did you notice that there were at least two second comings? There is the coming where Jesus is going to come, then he will rapture believers, and then he will go, then he's going to come back again for, for, for the judgment, isn't it? You see, if readers of the Old Testament self even just thought there was only one coming, we have already said it's two. Now you want to make it three. Some people even almost make it four. The second one is this. After Christ's rule, after Jesus' rule, his, his reign, comes the end. And the thing that signifies the end is the resurrection of believers. I want to show you two scriptures that are really important for that. In Acts chapter 2, verses 33 to 36, after the Holy Spirit has been poured out, here is how Peter interprets it. After the Holy Spirit has been poured out, he says, exalted to the right hand of God, I hope you are still with me. Okay. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father, this is Jesus, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit that has been poured out, uh, uh, out what you now see and hear. Then he now makes a reference to David. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said in Psalm 110, this is what David said. The Lord, that is Yahweh, said to my Lord Adonai, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Everybody say, until I make your enemies your footstool. So notice, he says, he told him, sit on my right hand, reign now, but your reign is going to continue until when? Until he makes his enemies his footstool. He had conquered his enemies, but he had not destroyed all his enemies. He conquered his enemies, but he had not destroyed all his enemies. So the period of his reign was going to elapse when all his enemies had been made his footstool. So this 36, if you want to, if you want to be clear, who is the person? He says, therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When did Jesus' reign start? When did the reign of Jesus start? Yeah. He has made him what? Lord. Jesus Christ has started reigning. He started reigning when he ascended into heaven. They wanted to make him king on earth. He said, my kingdom is not of this world. So he was going to heaven to start his reign. That is what this is saying. Is this clear? Am I pushing this too much on you? So you can see that Jesus is reigning. Now, with this, understanding that his reign is going to come it's going to happen until all his enemies have made the footstool. Now look at 1 Corinthians 15, where Paul is talking about the resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 23. He's now talking about Jesus' re return. He says, but each in turn, Christ, the first fruit, that he's talking about the resurrection. So Jesus was the first to resurrect, the first fruit of the resurrection. Then when he comes, when he comes, 
Who will resurrect? Whether they are dead or whether they are alive, they will be changed. So those who come with him, where, uh, those who belong to him, then look at verse 24. Then what will happen? The end will come. When, what is going to happen when the end comes? He hands over the kingdom to the Father. How can he hand over the kingdom to the Father if he's not reigning? He hands over the kingdom to, the, to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. Look at the next thing. For he must reign unto what? But not all his enemies are destroyed. What is the last enemy that will be destroyed? Death shall be destroyed. What is the significance of when death has been destroyed? When death shall be swallowed up in victory at the resurrection. So Jesus' reign comes at the end of the resurrection, when the resurrection happens. Which means that if Jesus comes and there's going to be a resurrection, the reign of Jesus has already started. That is the symbolic 1,000 years. It is symbolic. It is not literal. Are we following? Three, point three. There is one resurrection for the godly and the ungodly. One. You see, remember the other chart? It says when Jesus comes, some people will be raised, right? The believers. Then they will go. Right? Then, after the return, there will be 1,000 years. Then when 1,000 years happens, that's when judgment for the unbelievers will happen. Do you remember that? Right? Okay, but that's a problem. Because you are putting 1,000, at least 1,000 years or 1,007 years between the resurrections of the ungodly and godly. Is, is that clear? All right. Re- look at John chapter 5. John chapter 5, verse 28, 29. Do not be amazed at this. A time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear the, his voice and come out. Those who have done what is good will rise to live. And those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. Did you see after 1,007 years? Those who would rise to be, they would, okay. There is just one resurrection. And related to that is the final point. There is just one judgment. There is a judgment and at that judgment, all, both the believers and unbelievers themselves will be judged. Look at Matthew chapter 25, verse 31, 34. Notice, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne and all nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goat. He will put the sheep on his right and the goat on his left. Sorry, I'm not saying you are goats here. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. That's right, Abi. Verse 41. Then, it's not like after one whole period of time. He says, then, he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed into eternal fire, prepare for the devil and his angels. Then, they will go away to eternal punishment, verse 46, but the righteous shall go into life. Does it look like there is a separation? And I, listen, complicated plans lead to complicated theories and they lead to complicated responses. Simple plans lead to simple theories and lead to simple responses. Are you following me? Right? It's very simple. What are we waiting for now? What are we waiting for? Jesus to come back. When Jesus comes back, what happens? Judgment. After judgment, what happens? Eternal state. New heavens, new earth, or hell. Are you following me? But once you start having seven years tribulation, then you now say, is it coming before the tribulation? That's pre-tribulation. Is it coming in the middle of it? That's mid-tribulation. Is it coming after it? That's post-tribulation. Then you now start wondering, okay, in the tribulation, what's going to happen? Who is the man of iniquity? Who is the son of the, 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 the Antichrist? Ah, I think it's Bill Gates. Have you not noticed that Bill Gates was born in 1964? Bill means this. William this. His mother is that. Or you start talking about 5G. And you say 5G is connected to a microchip that will be put under. Or then you start talking about United Nations. You start talking about the Pope. You talk about the feast. You talk about the new moon. All of these things are nonsense because they stop us from doing what we are meant to do. Jesus is coming back and that's all we are looking for. Let me tell you because, and I'm saying this, take this from someone 
See, if you met me in 2005, 2006, I read the Bible. I read the Bible. But for every, every verse I read in all, the other, uh, in, in the all the other parts of the Bible, I must have read five verses in the book of Revelation. I, was into, I wanted to know. I knew all the views. Do you know what that led to? In all those views, all those years that I was studying so deep, putting all of these things together, I never once evangelized to somebody. Not one person. Because my main evangelism was looking for other Christians to let you know that your view of the eschatology is not right. Complicated plans lead to complicated theories and complicated responses. You will not be prepared if you start following all of these things. So speaking about preparation, because it's not about knowing all this timing and all of these things. How do you prepare? To which somebody will say, ah, but Femi, if we are ignorant of the timing of his coming, won't we be left unprepared? After all, don't forget what he said. He said he will come like a thief in the night. What if we knew when the thief was coming? Oh. The person that asked that question, you are asking that question because you don't have experience of thieves coming in the night the way me I have. No, I'm not joking. I have experience. Thief coming in night, experience. You see, I grew up in Surulere, right, in the 80s and 90s. But at some point, in 1995, my parents said, ah, it's enough. It's enough. We are leaving this place. In fact, I have, since 1995, in all the time I've lived in Nigeria, I have always lived in an estate. Always lived in an estate. Why? Because my parents said it's enough. You know what the problem was? In Surulere, was a middle-class haven in the 80s. But by the time you had 90s, we started to have a rise of, of thieves, particularly the thieves in the night. Yes. And so at one point, dozens of thieves came to our house. Right? They came to our house. Thank God they couldn't get in, but they were trying to get in. It was so bad. They said, break anything, breakable. F anything, effable. I can't say it, you know, whatever. This is what they said. So at that point, my mom and dad, we couldn't sleep there again, and we found an estate. The thing was so bad in Surulere is that People knew this would come. Remember, how did they not enter? It was because we had burglar bars, strong burglar bars. Other people had fences with barbed wires. Some people, you built your gate to be really high. If you didn't have money for that, you get a, we used to call them malams. I know it's bad now, but that's what, that's what we call them. You get a strong gate man. You see all these things, say, go away. You see one big one. We had Ibrahim. Ibrahim was really tough, big. You get all of those things. You put alarm system. You put everything. You, you and your neighbor, you had ways of calling to know, ah, they've come. Oh, do you understand? You get prepared. And if all else fails, if all else fails, you always keep money for them. You keep money. So when they come in, you're like, give me your money. You say, oh, God, cool down. Which your money? I, which, I, it's your money. Your money. I kept it. He said, no, no. I said, okay, see, see, see. Ask your wife, whose money is it? It's you. Just take. You keep. In all these ways, we got prepared. Why did we get prepared? Because it's not because we knew the timing of the thief's coming. It's because we knew the certainty that the thief will come. We didn't have to know the day the thief was coming. We were prepared because we have certainty that the thief will come. In the same way, when Jesus says that Jesus will come as a thief in the night, you don't get prepared by knowing the timing of Jesus' coming. You get prepared by having the certainty that Jesus is going to come. But I want to talk to some of us here. Because remember, when Jesus comes, the day of the Lord has two kinds of destinies. In verse 3, he says, destruction will come upon them suddenly. In verse 9, he says that they will suffer wrath. That's one destiny. The other destiny is salvation for them. God did not appoint us to suffer, verse 9, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> it's, not, it's not told me that he's preaching. Not told me. This, the spirit of Emmanuel is upon me. 
and the spirit of Dami has, uh, they have for, taken hold of me. The Lord has appointed me to preach for one hour, 15 minutes. All right, okay, let's, let's keep going. But seriously, <laughs> no, like I was joking before. No, but seriously, two destinies. You can, we can joke about this thing all we want. We can draw maps and do all of those things. What destiny is going to be for you when it comes? What destiny? And how can you be prepared for the right one? Let me tell you, it's very simple. It says, it says this. You are all, to, uh, um, because some of them, it will cut suddenly. And some, it will not. And how do we know who it will cut suddenly? It says, verse 5, you are all children of light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or the darkness. But however, those who belong, verse 4, but you, brothers and sisters, you are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. In other words, there are those who belong to darkness. They are the children of darkness. And then there are those who are the, belong to the day. They are the children of light. Your identity is the key to your destiny. Who do you belong to? Christ Jesus, or do you belong to the darkness? It is not about knowing the time. It is not about what you know. It is about who you know. Let me tell you something. It, Jesus' coming is going to catch some people unawares and unprepared, not because they put Jesus is coming as an entry in their calendar. It is because the cross of Christ was not stamped on their passport. Who do you belong to? Friends, I want to tell you this. Our greatest problem, or the greatest, uh, the, the, the biggest problem we have now is an ultimate reflection of, is an, a reflection of our ultimate problem. The biggest problem you and I have now is an it's a reflection of our ultimate problem. But also, the biggest solution that we have now is also a reflection of our ultimate Notice what he says about their destiny. He says, God did not appoint us, verse 9. He says, God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. When Jesus comes, you know what he's coming to do when he's going to give some people wrath? 2 Thessalonians 1 tells us. Because our biggest problem, let me tell you, is this. We are separated from God. And when we are separated from the one we were meant to be united with, all manner of problems happen. If you meet me, my worst day to meet me on, my worst day to meet me on, is if I'm fighting with my wife. It doesn't really matter who was wrong. It doesn't matter that she's always wrong, right? It's, <laughs> it's, it's, no matter what, even if I justify to myself, I'll be writing, I'll be typing, but in my mind, I'll say, why, why, why? Until I can't take it anymore. And I do what every man does. You crawl and you go and beg and you say, I'm sorry. <laughs> but my point is this. Being separated from the one I'm meant to be united with always puts me in trouble. Our hearts were created for God. And our hearts will be restless until we find our rest in him. And so when we are separated from God, if you are separated from God now, a child of the dark, let me tell you, when he says Jesus is going to return, yes, we can think about um, um, he, he judgment as destruction. It is that. But 2 Thessalonians shows us another way of what judgment is. 2 Thessalonians 1 verse 7 says, this will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire. That's the one we know with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not obey. Punishment. We know that one. Who do not, obey, who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. They will be punished with everlasting destruction. Again, punishment, destruction. We know all of those. And shut out from the presence of God. What is hell? In some sense, hell is eternal banishment from the presence of God. But what is salvation? When Jesus comes, our best solution, our best solution right now, our, the best thing about any of you right now is that you are in a relationship with God. You can come before the presence of God in prayer. That's what is your best thing, the best thing about you now. It doesn't always seem like that, but it's the best thing. What do you think our ultimate salvation will look like? Verse 10. He 
He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may what? Live together with him. Nothing compares, my friends, to the joy, to the pleasure, to the happiness we will have when we are living with God forever in the eternal state. But I want to beg somebody here, which will you choose, to be a child of the darkness or a child of the light? It doesn't matter. Listen, if, you, if I told you now that Jesus is coming November 22nd, 2022, 11, 11, 11, 22, 22. Because the two uh, times 11 is 22. Uh, so, uh, you understand? If I told you that, and you'd be like, November 11, 22, okay. Ah, he's coming November 22nd. Or more, I got to Jaye from now till November 20th. Don't do 21st. No, no, don't do 21st because you have to give it some genuineness. I'm going to Jaye from now to November 20th, 2022. Then on November 21st, I surrender all. Do you know the time, the, the moment you say that? You cannot make yourself genuinely accepting that you have planned. Nobody, we don't. If you manipulate your way into a, man, a, a into a relationship, it's not a genuine relationship. The time itself, knowing the time, is not what gets you prepared. It is whether you know that he is worth it, worthy of actually having a relationship with. Even if you don't believe he's worth it today, you will not believe it even when you know the time of his coming. But can I tell you that it's worth it? You know why? Our greatest disaster is being separated from him. Our greatest joy is to be united with him. By nature, we are all children of the darkness. We should be separated from him. So what did Jesus first coming? What did he do? Verse 10 again. He died. He went to the cross. On the cross, he was banished from God. He said, my God, my God, why have you what? forsaken me. He was banished so that you can be accepted. Not your wife, not your parents, nobody can ever give you that gift. They may be able to die for you, but they, their, their death cannot save you. I offer you this. Jesus is coming, but he has already come before. So that if you accept what he did when he came before, you can come with boldness on the day that he returns. Amen? But the final point, you see that wasn't ready. You said the right identity leads to the right, uh, the right identity leads to the right preparation. It's just the identity. But some of us here will say, I'm already a child of the light. I'm already a child of the light. Really? Are you sure? Are you sure? Are you sure? Because we can't tell. You know that how we dress says something about our identity. How we dress for an event says something about our identity. Right? How we dress says something. Imagine you are, you know, you're a middle class person, God has blessed you, and then your child was getting married. And then you wore uh, Ankara. There's something wrong with you. I'm saying that as, as a man of God, there's something. I, I just say, you may not have the, I'm not saying, I say you have the money. You have the money. You wear Ankara for your own child's wedding. No, you lack home training. It's true. But for some of us nowadays, it's not about that. You have all the money. <laughs> but those are back, those are old times. So you are going for a wedding. And then when you go for a wedding, you wear a t-shirt. You say, because I want to be like, uh, what's that guy's name? Z Z Zuckerberg. Zuka. Zuckerberg. He wears t-shirts up and about. My friend, when you have a hundred billion dollars, you can wear t-shirt anywhere you want. But for now, you don't. If you wear a t-shirt to a wedding, it is either of two things. You are either ignorant about the fact that you're going to a wedding, or you are irresponsible, or you are both. <laughs> How we dress for an event says something about our identity. You know that this event, no, it, it, it requires me to dress properly. And so you put on a nice, nice outfit for the event. Paul says this, I will know if you are truly prepared for the day of the Lord because of how you dress. He says, if you are truly prepared, you will don yourself with faith. You will don yourself 
with hope. You will don yourself with love. Look at verse 6, uh, verse 8. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love. And he uses a metaphor of, of something that people use for war, right? As a breastplate and then hope of salvation as a helmet. In other words, Jesus is looking, when he's coming back and he says, I belong to Jesus, he's going to say, oh, do you have faith? When Jesus was describing the, the faith he's looking for, he said, people who are persistent in prayer in Luke chapter 18, he finishes it in verse 8 with this. He said, when the Son of Man shall come back, shall he find this kind of faith on the earth? Or in 1 John chapter 3, where he says, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. And it does not appear what we will be, be like, right? But we know this, that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. When Christ returns, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Do you have that hope? Yes. There is a hope toward that we develop towards the coming of the Lord. There is a faith that we develop towards the coming of the Lord. And in Hebrews chapter 10, it says this. Let's consider how to provoke one another toward love. And if you see verse 25, it says, All the more as you see the day approaching. In other words, faith, hope, love, these are things that Jesus is looking for when he returns. If you say that you are truly a child of the light, it is not by figuring out the time of where he comes, it is being prepared, being dressed in the right way when he comes. So how do we build it? Very simple. Paul tells us in the final page in verse 11. He says, Therefore be encouraged and build yourself up in these things. Amen? amen. No, not amen. That's not what Paul said. Are you not reading? Look at verse 11 again. He says, Therefore, encourage what? One another. And build each other up. Build each other up. Encourage one another. Let me tell you something. Encourage is a, encouragement is a building tool. It's a tool that we use to build. Encouragement builds. is a tool. But the raw materials for the building are faith, hope, and what? Love. So encouragement is given to you mainly to build somebody up. It is not given to, it is not given, it's not given, uh, 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 it's a tool that can't be used by you, for you. It is a tool that is given uh, to be used by you for others or by others for you. Are you following? And so when we encourage one another, and sometimes encouragement is, come on, you can do it. Sometimes encouragement is, you are better than that, you shouldn't be doing this. Sometimes encouragement is, you have to stop that. Because it's going to be disturbing your faith. But you see, just like in the Thessalonians, a lot of people are suffering. They needed the encouragement and they couldn't at some point find it in themselves. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you are behind, you are just beside yourself. It's not that you don't know God, but until somebody, he sends someone to speak to you and tell you that you can do it, you rose up again. That's what the community of God is meant to be like. But sometimes there's the voice that lingers in our head. Maybe some of us that are watching and say something like, I don't need church beyond service. I'm a private person. Or no one understands me. You can't, you won't be able to understand me. I can write books and you still won't understand me. I'm so complex. Some people say, I just don't want church wahala. I don't want church wahala. I've got family. I've got friends. I just need church service. I don't need the church. You see, statements like that when you have thoughts like that, eventually you start acting it out. And then when you act it out, it starts becoming a habit. There's a guy called Ralph Waldo Emerson, an American essayist philosopher. His most famous saying, he says something like this. Some of you have heard it. He says, sow a thought and you reap an action. Sow an action and you reap a habit. Sow a habit and you reap a character. So a character, and you reap a destiny. What habits are you forming? Because the habits that you form, based on the thoughts that you have in your head and the actions, it eventually, the habits lead to a particular destiny. 
If you start having thoughts about this kind of things I said, very soon you start saying, I'm coming to church this time, I don't want to come to this church this time. I want to come for community this time, I don't want to do this one. I want to eventually becomes a habit. And that habit leads to a character, a lifestyle that leads to a destiny. You see, guys, I don't want us to be like the church in the letter of the Hebrews. Let us be like the church in Thessalonica. Put up that Hebrews 10, verse 24, 25 again. Look at what he says. He says, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in what? The habit of doing. They were already forming the habit. The thought had started. And as the thought had started, it led to actions that led to habits. Very soon it becomes a character, a lifestyle. And very soon it becomes what? The destiny. And so you should not be confident at the coming of the Lord. But he says there's another habit you can form. He says, as some are in the habit of doing, but we should do what? Encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. Let me tell you the picture of an eschatological church. An eschatological church is not one that the screen is full of dates and all of those things. An eschatological church is a church that is encouraging one another, building one another up because they see that the Lord is coming back. Can we be that kind of church? With Thessalonians, he says that I want, in the verse 11, he says, therefore encourage one another, build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. Why? Because he might not preach a wonderful sermon, the very first sermon of this series. And he talks about the faith, hope and love there. In 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 3 he says, we remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Here is the church that Jesus is looking for to come and perfect. It's a church that looks like him. It's a church where the people are constantly encouraging one another and they build each other in faith and the faith produces righteous works. They build each other up in love and the love produces ministry labor. They build each other up in hope and the hope produces resilient endurance. Turn to your neighbor and say, are you a builder? May the Lord make us a building church. Not a church where people are just consuming and we want to consume the next fad. We want to consume the next series. We want to consume, 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 consume and not give to any other person. May the Lord build us up. Friends, Jesus is coming back. Will you be prepared? Will you become a child of light? Will you don yourself up with faith, love, and hope? Our certainty is not in knowing when he is coming. Our certainty is in knowing that he is coming. Thank you for listening to the Gospel in Lagos. We pray you've been blessed by this message. To learn more about City Church, visit www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church. Love Jesus. Love people. Love Lagos.